You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 38, this is going to be a little bit different uh, Bible study tonight because most of the chapters in Jeremiah are simply sermons that Jeremiah preached. But here we see in Jeremiah 38, we see uh, something that happened to Jeremiah and we see that God used a very unusual individual to accomplish something great. It says in Jeremiah 38, verse number one, it says, Then Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jucal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that, that person shall live, for he shall have his life for a prey, and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, this city shall uh, surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Uh, the, that's the message that Jeremiah has been preaching. And here it is. He says, if you will surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and you'll surrender to the Babylonians, you will live. If you resist, if you fight, if you don't surrender to the Babylonians, then you are going to be killed and your children are going to be taken captive, and this city is going to be destroyed. Now, the people didn't like that message, or some of the people didn't like the message, because it, it sounded contrary to what their thinking was. They were God's people, and they thought that nothing could ever happen to Jerusalem. They could live however wickedly they wanted, and they could do whatever they wanted, and God was still not going to send judgment because... It was Jerusalem. It was the temple. It was God's chosen people. Well, I got news for you. God chastens his own. God chastises. God judges his people at just like he would someone that's not his child. As a matter of fact, God judges his own children on a different level. You know why? Because we ought to know better, right? And the nation of Israel should have known better. The people didn't like the message. Verse 4, Therefore the princes said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to, what's the next word? Death. They said, we hate this guy so much, we want him dead. Now, did Jeremiah do anything to these people? Nope, he just preached what God told him to preach. He just told them the truth, and they were so angry, they said, we want to kill him. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city and the hands of all the people in speaking such words unto them, for this man seeketh not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah the king said, behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Now, that kind of sounds odd to me. You'd think that the king could do something. But we'll see in this passage that Zedekiah was a very uh, weak. He was a very wishy-washy. 
Uh, he didn't have much of a backbone, and so he just told the guys, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, I can't stop you, you know. Uh, I won't look. Go ahead. Verse number six, then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the, what's the next word? Dungeon. You know why they put him in the dungeon? Because they wanted to kill him. They thought, we don't have to lay hands. We don't have to shed blood. We'll just throw him in the dungeon. He'll starve to death down there. Maybe it might be a little bit better. Maybe he can think about it. Maybe he can uh, uh, have a little bit more pain and suffering if he starves to death in a dungeon. And they threw him in. It was in the court of the prison. They let down Jeremiah with cords or ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. There was just mud. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us as we look at your word and this, this story, this account that you recorded for us on purpose. You recorded it so that we could learn from it. We could be helped. We could be challenged. And I pray you'd speak to us tonight in these few moments that we're together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, and we'll, I'll just give you some introduction. I've got a few points. I don't know if I'll get to them or not. But I want to say, first of all, in verse number one, that there will always be enemies to the work of God. That's, that's nothing new. You say, well, why, why are people so anti-God today? Why are people uh, so hateful towards God? Why do people hate this book so much? It's been like that since the beginning. There will always be those who will attack. There will always be enemies. Now, I don't think you should go and make enemies, but I'll tell you this, if you take a stand for God and you take a stand for what's right, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to applaud you. There will be opposition. As a matter of fact, John Newton, who wrote that song, Amazing Grace, John Newton said this, whenever God is ready to do some great work, he said, you can always expect some great opposition. There will be opposition. There will be critics. There will be skeptics. But make sure when the critics and the skeptics and the enemies arise, make sure that you get grounded on what the Bible says. Here's what kept Jeremiah going. He wasn't preaching his own ideas. He wasn't preaching his own thoughts or he didn't have his own little program going. He was just preaching what the Bible said. And friend, if we will stand on the word of God, I promise you, you're going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay. God will take care of his own. Stick with the word of God. Don't listen uh, to the critique. And by the way, sometimes, sometimes the, the criticism in that, maybe it can motivate you. Maybe sometimes the criticism can cause you to be more firm in what you believe and more firm in the Bible. But don't worry about the critics. Just keep on keeping on. Stay in the Word of God. Verse number 3, I want to remind you. Thus saith the Lord, the city, this city, Jerusalem, shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. You know, verse 3 is a great reminder to me that nothing happens in this world, nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. Now, was this God's desire for his people to be punished and judged? No. But did God allow this to happen? Absolutely. And they got it because they had sinned against God and judgment came because of their sin. God allowed it. God's still in control. 
Uh, no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter what you face, no matter what I face, don't forget who is in control. Job said it like this, the Lord taketh, the Lord giveth, but we're still going to bless the Lord. We're still going to praise him no matter what. Verse number four, the men of the city, the princes, those in leadership, rather than get right with God, these men preferred and chose to attack Jeremiah and his message. They said this, they said, Jeremiah, you're not very patriotic. You're not taking a stand for your country. Uh, by the way, his message was not popular. It, it didn't sound good to say, we need to give up. We need to surrender. We need to give in to the Babylonians. They wanted to fight. But friend, I want to tell you, until we surrender to God's will, we will never be successful. And this was God's plan. This was God's will. At this point for the nation of Judah, he said, surrender if you want to live. If you want to fight, go ahead but it's not going to end well. We see in verse number five, the king, he told the men, he said, if you want to kill him, if you want to take him, you do whatever you want. And verse number six, we see that they took Jeremiah, the prophet, the preacher, the man who was doing what was right, and they cast him into the dungeon. I want to tell you, that's not a place where I want to be. I don't think anybody in here tonight is saying, you know, that's been my prayer request. I'm just praying that God would let me be thrown into some, some dungeon somewhere. This dungeon was probably an old cistern. It was probably an old uh, 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 place where the water was stored for that part of the city. And so because of that, it would have been very deep. Uh, there was not ways to climb in and out. They had to lower people or raise people with ropes. And, and there was no water in there. It wasn't standing water, but it was mud. And it was muck and mire. In some cases, they would use that for uh, the waste of the city. It doesn't say specifically they did here, but Jeremiah was in an awful place. Can you imagine being in a, in a pit with mud and darkness and there's no way out and there's no food? By the way, that's one reason why uh, one man got worried. He said, hey, he's going to die there. They're not even going to feed him. He is going to starve to death in a dungeon. Jeremiah was in a pit. I preached a message, I believe it was 2015 or 16. I went back and, and saw the notes and I'm not preaching that message tonight. But I preached a message about how to help somebody out of a pit. You know, as I was looking over those notes and I was looking over some things that I had written down six years ago, I was amazed at how people are still in pits today. There are people all around us, friend, that are in the pits of sin. They're in the pits of depression. There are people that you come in contact with every day, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, but there are people that are in a pit. As we speak right now, by the way, in this auditorium, there might be somebody who's in a pit. It's not your choice. Uh, you're not there because you're a bad person, but you are in there because of the circumstances of life. You have been put in a pit. By the way, it wasn't Jeremiah's fault. He was just doing what was right. He was persecuted because of his message. There are people who are in pits of sorrow. There are people tonight who are in pits 
with health struggles and it just seems like they can't get out and it seems like there's no escape and it seems like it gets worse. There are people that you and I come in contact with that are in pits because of sin, because of drugs, because of alcohol, uh, the family situation they're in, they're in a pit. And you know what those people need? They need somebody to care about them and they need somebody to help them out of the pit. I'm talking to Victory Baptist Church tonight. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves and our own needs and we don't want to get dirty, right? So we can't help somebody out of a pit because we might get some of that mud on us. Well, friend, I'm glad that there was a Savior that came down from glory and the Bible says that he lifted us out of, out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and he set our feet upon a rock. I believe we need some people that will rescue people. And by the way, if you're here this evening or you're watching or you're listening and you're in a pit, don't stay in the pit. Let somebody help you out. Sometimes you get helped out of a pit and you jump right back in the pit. Don't do it. Get out of the pit. Experience victory in Jesus. Sometimes I've seen people who, rather than help people in the pit, they jump in and join them. Friend, I got, I got news for you. If you get in the pit too, you're not much help. You've got to have a walk with God. You've got to have a relationship with Christ. And you've got to have a, a solid spiritual foundation so that you can help somebody else who's in a pit. But Jeremiah was in a pit. He was in trouble. The Bible says in verse number six that he sunk in the mire. He was in a pit and he was literally sinking. Now, I cannot imagine what that feeling was like. I cannot imagine how, uh, how hopeless that must have seemed for Jeremiah. Keep in mind, the king has just authorized it. The princes are the very ones who orchestrated it. And now Jeremiah is in a pit thinking, I'm going to die in here. But notice verse 7. This is a very unlikely individual that comes to Jeremiah's rescue. We don't know that he had a previous uh, acquaintance with Jeremiah. We don't know anything else really about this man. But the Bible says in verse 7, now when a Bedmelech, and by the way, that name is very interesting. It simply means servant of the king. He was just a servant. That's all he was. He didn't have any say. He didn't have any great position of prominence. He didn't have any authority. He was just a servant. He was a nobody. By the way, aren't you glad God uses nobodies like us? Aren't you glad that God could take somebody like Abedmelech? God could take somebody like Jeremy Colburnett? God could take somebody like you, and he could use us to accomplish his eternal work. I'm still amazed that God would use me, but I'm glad he does. Abedmelech. He comes and says in verse 7 that he was one of the, uh, he was an Ethiopian. He was one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house and he heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. Now, you know what most of us would have done? I didn't hear that. I don't know. It's not my problem. I didn't do it. I'm not responsible. I don't have time. Uh, I, I don't want to get involved. But it just says that he heard. He heard that Jeremiah was in the dungeon. And verse number eight, Abedmelech went forth out of the king's house and spake 
to the king. Now, this is some guts here. Ebedmelech goes marching to the king. And he knows that the king's authorized, and I'm sure. And he tells the king, he says, king, what's going on? You, these guys, they're trying to kill Jeremiah, verse 9. He said, my lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Can I tell you, Abedmelech, he was just a servant. But he said, somebody's got to do something. Uh, I don't know that he had training in dungeon rescues. I don't know that he had the proper supplies. As a matter of fact, I feel pretty confident he did. Because when he got there, the Bible says that they lowered the ropes and he saw that there were some old rags. The Bible calls them old and the Bible calls them rotten. But you know what he did? He used what was there to get Jeremiah out of the pit. Can I tell you, we need some more Ebedmeleks in our churches. We need some more servants. We need some more people that will rescue those who are in the pits and those who are in despair and those who are in depression. The Bible says that when he told the king, verse 10, the king commanded him, saying, take from hence 30 men with thee and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Now, you want to know why the king sent 30 men with Ebedmelech? It's not because Jeremiah weighed 1,000 pounds, I'll promise you that. It's because the king knew that Ebedmelech was in danger. If these guys wanted to kill Jeremiah, they'd have no problem trying to kill anybody who tried to save Jeremiah. And so the king said, all right, but you better take some guys with you because you're going to need some help. And so they went to the dungeon, verse number 11. They took the men with them and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. By the way, you know why they used those old rags and not just the ropes? Have you, ever been, have you ever been pulled with a rope? You ever had a rope under your arms? And uh, yeah, you talk about rope burn, right? And here's the thing, Abedmelech, not only did he rescue Jeremiah, but he said, I want to make this as comfortable as I can. I want to put some padding on those ropes. I want to put some cushion on those ropes so when they, we pull Jeremiah out, he's not going to have his arms and his side and have his shoulders all torn up. Can I tell you? We need some Ebedmeleks that will help and, and serve and rescue people, but we need some Ebedmeleks like this that have compassion for people. You know, some people have said, hey, you ought to be glad I'm helping you, buddy. Yeah, so you got some rope burn. At least you're not dead. But you know what Ebedmelech said? He said, I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to do my very best to take care of this prophet. I want to do my very best to, to, to protect him. I like this. It says in verse number 11 that the rags, the old cast clouts, that's old just shreds of clothing and old rotten rags. You know what I like about it? The Bible says they were old. Aren't you glad that God still uses old things? You thought I was going to say old people, didn't you? I'm glad God uses old people too. I'm glad God uses uh, old uh, uh, ways and he uses old methods. Can I tell you? We, we're, we live in a society where people don't like old, okay? And I will tell you, 
When it comes to technology, I don't like old. Now, I understand some of you, you've got a flip phone that you've had for 20 years, but I got news for you. You're not always going to be able to get that, okay? So at some point, you might have to upgrade, some point. But we like things new, right, for the most part. We, we like things that are new and exciting. But can I tell you, God still uses old things. You know what's old? Preaching. Preaching's old, but God still uses preaching. Can I tell you that God uses old things like Bible doctrines. Now, by the way, you say, I just heard about a brand new Bible doctrine. That's not a good thing, all right? Because if it's new, it's probably not true. God uses old things. Can I tell you, praying is old, but it works. And God uses it and God answers it. How about this? Soul winning. Witnessing. That is old it's as old as the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But I'm glad that God uses old things. This, this man, Abedmelech, he found some old things. But guess what? They worked. It says in verse number 12 that he put down the, the clouts and the rags and under the, uh, Jeremiah's armholes. And it says in verse 13, and they drew him up with cords and took him up out of the dungeon. Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. He rescued, he lifted Jeremiah out of the pit. Now, here's what's interesting. You would think in this story that it would be the other way around. You'd think that Jeremiah, you know, he's the preacher. He's the prophet. He'd be the one that's rescuing a servant out of the pit. But that's not how the story goes. Did you know God could use you to encourage a pastor. And by the way, God does use you to encourage this pastor. God could use you to encourage your Sunday school teacher. We've got these guest preachers that come through. We've got missionaries that come through. We had this tour group that came through Sunday night. Did you know God can use us to encourage them? And God can use them to encourage us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. God can use anybody that will just be available. Abedmelech, he just heard and said, hey, somebody's got to do something, and he did it. I'll give you quickly the outline, and we'll be done. Number one, I see in this passage, and I see there's four groups of people here, and I want us to identify ourselves. Number one, there are the princes who were hateful. You know, I hope that we're not in that category. I hope we're not like these princes that are out to destroy. I hope we're not like these princes that are out to uh, criticize. And we're not like the princes who are out to hurt somebody. And we're not like the princes who are so backslidden and so away from God that we attack those who are trying to do something right. But we see there were the princes. They were hateful. Number two, we see Jeremiah. And in this story, in this situation, Jeremiah, he was hopeless. Again, did you, did you see what we read? He was in a dungeon. He had no way out. He was sinking in the mud. He had no food. And Abedmelech said, I know those guys. They're going to let him starve to death. Jeremiah, there was nothing he could do to get himself out. He was in a hopeless situation. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? Before Jesus showed up. 
We were without God and we were without hope in this world. But aren't you glad in due time, Jesus Christ came and he died for the ungodly. I hope that uh, we'll not be in Jeremiah's situation in this story. I hope we'll not be hopeless. But can I tell you, if you are in a pit, can I tell you, don't give up hope. Because there are some Abedmeleks out there. And better than that, there is a God in heaven who has not forgotten you. There is a God in heaven who can send someone. There is a God in heaven who can change the heart of the king. And there's a God in heaven who can rescue you and who can save you when it seems like all hope is gone. I don't know how it could have got much worse for Jeremiah. He was in the pit. He was in the mire. He was starving to death and he was sinking. But at the right time, somebody showed up. That is Abedmelech number three. Abedmelech was helpful. Abedmelech met the need. Abedmelech said, there's not a lot of things I can do. I can't go and I can't defeat the Babylonian army. I can't be the king. I can't be the princess, but I can be the person God made me and I can help some hopeless preacher get out of a pit. Can I tell you, I hope we'll all be in that category tonight. I hope we'll be helpful. I hope we'll look for people that we can help and by the way, if it's somebody who you say, I'll help them because I know they'll help me, you missed it. Because if you look for somebody to help who can repay you, there's your reward. It, that, that's it. You get your reward down here. But if you'll look for somebody to help that cannot repay you, guess who has promised that he will settle the score and he'll pay the debts? God has promised that he will bless you when you bless those that cannot repay. Notice quickly, Jeremiah 39, we'll get to this in the weeks to come. But it says in verse number 15, Jeremiah 39, now the word of the Lord came into Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison saying, go and speak to Abedmelech, the Ethiopian saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good. And they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord. And thou shalt not be given into the hand of the men whom, of whom thou art afraid. For I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword. But thy life shall be for a prey unto thee, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord. Don't you think Abedmelech was feeling really good on that day? I got a special message from God just for me. And God said, Abimelech, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to deliver you. Because you trusted in me, I will take care of you. I hope we'll be like Abimelech. I hope we'll look for people that we can help. And then lastly, I see the fourth category to, in this passage. I see is Zedekiah. You know what's so sad about Zedekiah is he's the one who really could have changed a lot of things for the nation. I want you to notice in verse number 23, Jeremiah tells Zedekiah after he's pulled out of the dungeon, Jeremiah tells him, he says, so shall they bring out all thy wives and thy children to the Chaldeans and thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but thou shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. And notice the end of verse 23. And thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. You know what Jeremiah said to Zedekiah? He said, 
Yeah, they're going to get you. They're going to get your family. But this city is going to be burned with fire because of you. You're the reason. And folks, I want to tell you, when we decide that we're going to do our own thing and we're going to rebel against God, oh yeah, there's judgment for us. Can I tell you, there's other people that are affected because of the decisions that we make. I see Zedekiah, and I'll use this word to describe him. He was hesitant. He was hesitant to obey God. He was hesitant to stand up to the princes. Sure, when Abedmelech came, he said, okay, here's some guys, you can go rescue them. But, but he was so wishy-washy. Uh, he, he, he wasn't willing to take a stand for what was right and do what God wanted him to do. He was hesitant. And friend, I want to tell you, sometimes I think we get in that same category because we want the best of both worlds. And by the way, we've all been there. We want to please people, but we also want to please God. Uh, we want to do this, but we also, well, I need to do this too, and I, I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Here's what Elijah said to the people of, of God. He said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, then serve him. But if Baal, then serve him. Joshua said it like this. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.